Man, you can be seated. Good morning, and again, I want to extend an invitation to the barbecue that we'll be having tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have uh, some brats and hot dogs and some teriyaki chicken, and if you could bring a side to share, we'll have um, some, some watermelon and some fruit provided as well, but uh, we'd love for you to come. As I always try to say when these are coming up, this is for you. It's for uh, our church family, and if you're visiting especially, it's uh, especially for you, so we'll have uh, that at 5 p.m. tonight. As we continue to think about how we can be a church that is a blessing to, to our community, we have um, thought about that and been thinking about what uh, our some next steps uh, for us uh, as a church. And as a result of that uh, process, uh, something that is, is a decision that's been made in, in the last week, uh, we have decided to officially paint our building, our church building, and uh, we're um, excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's, some, some people are very excited about that. Um, we had a, a consultant come and talk to us, and he said that our church looks a little prison-like from the exterior, and uh, so we're, we're trying to make it look more modern, because actually what happens often is people come in here, and they're like, wow, it's like a, a vibrant, good community in here, but you don't really show that on the outside, and here's a couple examples of, of that, and we've thought about what it would look like to, to restore the brick, but ultimately it was decided that um, painting was, was the best choice of action. That looks really good, um, so yeah, so it's, there's, there's some places that we really needed a, a, fresh, a fresh coat of paint, and I'm excited. This is what it's going to look like uh, in the end. Um, looks pretty, pretty cool. Um, then there's one more picture of an example. Um, so this, this is not exactly 100% what it's going to look like. If you'd like to see that, talk with Gabrielle Prasanchin, um, who has all the colors and different things. But we hope that this will be... Alan Carey also has uh, color stuff. Um, I, before I move on, I do want to just give a special word of thanks to Janelle Coburn and Gabrielle Persanchin and Carrie Williams, who did an awesome job. Give them a hand uh, for working through this. And this was, uh, again, a process of our vision conversations and thinking about how we can uh, make a better difference in our community and show that there's some great life here. And we really do believe that. We believe that God is doing uh, some awesome things uh, through this church. And I can't help but think of all the people who drive by us on Glen Oaks who we're actually going to take some steps. This is one of the reasons why we talked about throwing up some good Yelp reviews during this last week, which some of you wrote some really awesome stuff. Y'all should go check that out. There's some really, really beautiful things uh, that were written. We're working on a, a welcome video that will go on the front page of our website because our hope is that as we do this, the painting begins on August 12th, that um, we're going to have new people looking and checking out our church for the first time, and we hope to continue to be a home in L.A. for, for many, many people. If you would like to participate uh, in this, we have, have some reserve funds that we were going to be using for this, but if you want to give to it, towards it, that'd be awesome. Um, so the total is $15,800 for the cost of painting everything, which I think is a really fantastic deal. If you're interested in giving, you can just go to glendalechurchofchrist.org.give. As always, we just love to have you participate. Um, and again, we have some reserve funds, but if we don't, wanna, if we don't have to use those, uh, that would be awesome. But we want to continue to be a church and a place that is a home for um, everyone uh, in, in LA, and this is a way that we feel like we can do that. If you have any questions for me or questions specifically about the project, I will probably direct you to somebody else, but um, please come and um, talk to me about it, and I will point you in that direction. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're continuing our, our series called Fulfilled, where we're thinking about what it means to live uh, as, as people of God, not just far off in the future, like one day, you know, you'll be united with God in heaven, what it looks like to live a fulfilled life now. As Jesus talks about, like, he calls us to an abundant life now, like a full life now. And I believe that following Jesus makes you better at life. That if you really live the way that Jesus calls us to, and the way that, that God gives us an example through Jesus, we will become better at life. But one thing that 
isn't necessarily talked about often in, in church, I think, is that something that happens in all of our lives um, as we try to live a life of faith, and that's wandering. And I'm not talking about wonder like, you know, awestruck wonder, you know, you see something really beautiful and it's very moving, though that is a part of the Christian life and something that I think is, is really important. But I'm talking about like wondering like, I don't know where I'm going next. And whatever has happened to me and this thing has like resulted in this thing and I just don't know, God, what, what are you doing? I have more questions than answers right now. I'm, I'm unsure of what the next step is. Like, God, I feel a little bit in the dark as I'm trying to figure out what it is that you want me to do. And maybe for you, that's because you were like once like super connected to like a person or a leader and that that person let you down or you had a mentor or you've moved to a new place and you suddenly are in this, this space and this feeling of, wow, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go for me. And I think those moments are really, really actually important for us because what it helps us to realize is that our faith ultimately isn't in that person or that church or in like whatever it is that we can put our faith in, ultimately that question that gets asked when we're in this season or a period of wonder is, do I actually have faith in God? So ultimately I think it's, it's good for us, but it's hard and not necessarily talked about all that much. But in Genesis chapter 12, I think we see an invitation to wandering that actually is pretty shocking. It's a story that you might be familiar with if you're familiar with Scripture. So God comes to a man named Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham, so I might refer to him as Abraham sometimes today, or Abram. But um, God comes and says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, this is somewhat regular or normal for us, because um, we live in L.A., and no one's really from L.A., right? I mean, how many of you are actually from L.A.? Like, you've lived your entire life in L.A.? Yeah, we're talking about a small handful of us. Like, there's just, just, just a few of us. We can have a meeting afterwards to talk about... Um, how we feel weird, like we're the foreigners somehow. Um, like this, this is what happens in a city like L.A., though, especially increasingly. People, people come to L.A., and so when you hear something like this, like Abram gets this call to go and leave his, his father's household, you go, well, I did that too, right? You know, I, it's not that big of a deal. Pretty much everyone, everyone does that. Uh, but in that time, in that place, nobody did this. You lived around your father's household for your entire life. And it was then expected that you would pass on the things that your father passed on to you to the next generation. This was how you were supposed to live. You were not just like, hey, you know, I'm from St. Louis and I'm going to go live in L.A. Or I'm not from here and I'm just going to go move in, in L.A. Like, you didn't do this in this time and in this place. And in fact, you see this a little bit even in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes to his dad and says, give me the inheritance right now. And then he goes and, and spoils it. And one of the reasons why that would have been so hurtful to his dad is that, that basically is like saying, you know, I just wish you would die already so I could have your money and just get out of here. And that would have been a huge insult to his father. His father ends up loving him anyway, spoiler if you don't know that story. But in this time, in this place, you didn't just like go and launch off into a different space. You didn't do that. You didn't take this kind of step. So for Abram to hear this call and to say, all right, I'm going to follow up and do this, this is a pretty unbelievable thing. Author Don Wilson says this about this, this moment. People didn't do that at this time in history because they had a cyclical view of history in which everything that has happened will happen again. They believe that you're born into a cycle of events and you'll die somewhere in that same cycle of events as the cycle endlessly repeats itself. Sounds like a really exciting way to live. In other words, there's nothing new. 
What happened to your ancestors will eventually happen to you, and then it will happen to your children as your family goes round and round the cycle. But then, Abraham leaves. He steps out of the cycle. He walks into a new future, one that hasn't happened before. And this has pretty profound implications for us in a lot of ways. One, it just tells you from the very beginning of Scripture here in Genesis, like, you aren't stuck. Perhaps you've had some really terrible things happen to you that you need to, like, talk to a therapist about and work through a little bit, but you aren't stuck. That's really good news. So Abram is, is walking through um, this, this experience, and God says to him, no, I'm calling you to step out, to do something different. Abram, you walk away. I think about this, like he's basically been on this, this road, and there's a lot of things up here i got to be careful of now, but he's just like on this, on this path and following like, you know, this cyclical understanding that, you know, he, my grandpa did this, and my dad did this, and so I'm just kind of just following, I'm go, doing the same kind of work, I'm doing the same thing, I'm in this space, and then God comes to him and says, leave. And he just basically like jumps out of that line, right? It's the most athletic thing I'll ever do. And he just he jumps out of this line that's been just kind of going in the same direction for who knows how long. And again, nobody does that. And perhaps you've had that experience when you've, like, stepped into a transition. You know how hard transitions can be in taking that step to perhaps do what you feel in some sense called to do. Now, it's very much the opposite of how I think we like to live. We love to live with comfort. We want to have, like, things given to us. We want the same kinds of experience. Uh, a phrase that is used um, very often now is brand or branding. Uh, and so you are, like, familiar and comfortable with, with certain brands that you've used before. Uh, perhaps for you, one is Airbnb. Like, you have had that experience where, you know, you went to a place and you didn't stay in a hotel and you found this really cool spot on Airbnb and it was like really cool to give you the location that you wanted. And so when you see that symbol, there's studies that show that actually like it lessens your anxiety. Like you've had a positive experience with Airbnb. And so when you see that brand, when it's put in front of you, you go, ah, like that just makes me feel comfortable. And that means that brand has won, basically, because when, when you start to, to feel a sense of comfort, when your anxiety lessens when you see a certain thing, like it is achieving what it is hoping to. Perhaps for you, it's Starbucks, that you just, you know, you have your morning coffee and you go and you, and you do that and there's just something about it. And it's like you don't even necessarily verbalize this, but there's just this positive thing that is associated with going to this place and Spending the money on coffee. If you're a Californian, perhaps yours is In-N-Out. Like, and you see that logo, and, you know, it's just hanging out over the freeway, and you're like, all right, I'm going there no matter what. You know, even if the line is an hour, I'm going to go there instead of going to another place because it's just that, that, that place just makes me feel comfortable. Perhaps for you, it's shopping at a place like Nordstrom, and you see, like, that space, and you've had positive experiences. And so these brands, like, they're all around us all the time, and in a very real sense, they're designed to make us comfortable. And they've, again, won when you start to feel like, okay, where do I go for a little comfort fix? Is it Starbucks? Is it Nordstrom? Whatever it happens to be for you. So we naturally seek comfort. But walking with God is sometimes going to involve stuff that's not all that comfortable. That's going to be the reality of our experience. 
In Psalm 23, which is so popular and really beautiful, it tells us, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That phrase, darkest valley, is often translated like the valley of the shadow of death. Like this is a psalm that we really like that talks about what it is to walk with God. And there's some positive moments in Psalm 23, but there's also this moment that even as I walk through difficult seasons, as I face real life experiences, as I am going through some some wandering in my heart and in my life for God, I'm just not really sure what the next step is. God, I trust that you are with me. When I'm in a season where I'm not sure if my resources, like my intellect, my talents, my strengths, I just don't know if they're enough. And I'm uncomfortable, and it's hard, and I wish that I could just like go back and like feel like it's all just going to be better, but it's going to be a season perhaps where I'm wondering. And perhaps you felt like that, maybe you're feeling like that right now, and that's why it's so powerful that this story tells us about someone named Abram who does something that is very unheard of and out of the ordinary. Leave. Go. And it's interesting how the Lord gives Abram this command. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go from your place, your country. The way that it's, it's phrased is just like there are certain things that you are very comfortable with. It's like your way of doing life, your father's household, your country, like these things, it's things that you are very, very comfortable with. And that's one of the problems, I think, sometimes, and why we need seasons of wandering in our lives is because sometimes we need those things to be shaken up a little bit. Because yes, there's some good things to comfort, and as you think about like your life and, and, and your parents, perhaps there are things that you do want to carry on to the next generation that you are really passionate about, traditions or things that you're like, oh, I want to preserve that. But there's also things from your parents that hopefully you go, I don't know that I want to carry that one forward. Like We're all sinners, our parents are sinners, we're part of a line of brokenness. So hopefully we're able to identify some things, and then our kids will do the same thing, right, <laughs> at some point. So go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Sometimes it's important for us to go through seasons of wondering, to, to shake up things a little bit, and to help us recognize that we're not supposed to be comfortable in certain things. Like, we're really comfortable being bitter. And at some point, we have to let that go. Or you're comfortable being angry. Because anger, for that first moment, it, it just, it's so tasty to be able to feel like you can control the attitudes and actions of the people behind you. So it's tempting to kind of keep going back uh, to that place. What is it that perhaps you've gotten comfortable in that you need to be kind of completely shaken up of and you need to say, all right, I need to leave that part behind. I got to go. Probably for most of us, one of the most powerful times in our lives was when we finished high school because it was kind of like we had that, that script laid out, right? We had that time and we had the opportunity to go and maybe you didn't finish high school, but probably most of us um, did. And then we had the opportunity, like, what are you going to do next? Are you going to work or like go off to college? And in those moments when you finally are, are walking away from kind of where you're known and what's been known about you, you had an opportunity to create a complete identity for yourself. You weren't known as like the kids of so-and-so or someone's brother or sister. You had the opportunity to create a name for yourself. 
And I remember that for me. I went to Pepperdine in, in Malibu. If you don't know, it's a, it's a Christian school, and it was really funny. My first day on campus, there was a guy in, in my dorm. My dorm happened to be like kind of a crazy party dorm, not because of me, but I was just there. And uh, this guy came into our, our like, common area, and he said, Brian, did you know this is a Christian school? And there's like a huge cross on the hill. And um, the application requires that uh, you write about your journey of faith. So obviously this guy didn't even like do his own application or something. I don't know. It was, it was very, very confusing about how that happened. Uh, and he said, did you know this is a Christian school? And I was like, uh, well, I'm studying to be a, a minister. So yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Uh, and I just remember that, that moment of being able to have, you know, you can kind of just create your own identity. You can be who you want to be. And in some ways, that is a little bit dangerous and hard, but in a lot of ways, it's a blessing because we get to sometimes look at our past and say, all right, here's some things that I don't want to carry forward with me into the future. Here's some things that I've, I've fallen into and, and some practices that I just have to leave. What does it mean for you to go and to wander forward with God, not necessarily even knowing exactly what the outcome is going to be, but what does it mean for you to have a moment like Abram where, where God comes to you and says, I want you to, to take a step away from this and follow me. So your faith is not in like this person or that system or that program, but actually in me. There's stories called Midrash, which is basically rabbis telling stories about Scripture. So it's not Scripture, but it, I think sometimes it's helpful to see what rabbis have said for thousands of years about Scripture. And so they tell a story about what happens when Abram leaves in this moment. And it's profound and significant, uh, not yet on that. Uh, they, they tell a story, and they tell a story uh, about how Abram goes to the shed where his father has kept all of his idols, because in that time, everyone had idols for everything. There's God of this or goddess of that. And so Abram goes into this shed and just like takes an axe to all of these wooden idols and just puts the axe into the hands of, of one, the one idol that he leaves remaining because he wanted to show his dad that there was one true God. So then his dad comes to the shed. And he's like, what happened here? And Abram says, well, I wanted to show you before I left that there's, there's one true God. And Abram's dad is like, well, why'd you do it this way? And Abram's like, I don't know. I just wanted to. And he points to this room and he says, but these are all just lifeless idols. And Abram says, well, then why do you bow down to them? And it's in those seasons of transition that we can sometimes ask ourselves, what is it that I really believe? What is it that I'm bowing down to that ultimately isn't all that helpful for me moving forward. And those times are hard, they're, they're difficult, they're, they're not always easy. Maybe you have a time in your life that you think about when you, when you move to a certain place or when you like quit that job or when you just had a conversation it ended up like in the breaking of a relationship uh, with somebody and you like stepped out on this but then you're out there and even though it was perhaps miserable where you were before, you still miss it. Because going is hard. And Abram takes this step. And it's fascinating, just, just a few verses later, 
Scripture tells us this. In Genesis 12, 10, after Abram takes this dramatic step, there was a famine in the land. So he does this thing, and like, it's unbelievable. He's going down the line. He's doing everything that he had to do, and then he receives this, this dramatic call from God, and he takes this step out, and he goes in a completely new direction. And as he goes to the place where there's like this new direction, this new hope, there's a famine. Now, at this point, if you're Abram, you're like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Abram. Eventually, there's going to be like a Bible story about me, right? Like, I, like, like, we often think that, you know, if to take that step, to walk away, to, to go, is then it's going to all fall into place, and it's all going to be easy, and then it's all like going to just like be lollipops and rainbows or wherever it is that we end up. But obedience to God doesn't always equal success. And it may never show in the success, perhaps, that, that you desire or think that you deserve or think that you want. The question then becomes, Abram, yeah, you were obedient in walking away and taking this step and doing this dramatic thing. Now will you continue to obey me as there is this famine? Will you continue to walk with me even in this difficult season? Because ultimately, we have to ask that question of ourselves at times. When we're in a season of wandering and we're trying to figure out exactly what it is that is the right next thing as we're going through these times, we need to recognize, God, you are the one that I'm relying on, and this is where I put my faith and my hope and my trust. I've been doing a lot of reading about an understanding called like the first half of life and the second half of life, which I would uh, recommend you looking into um, as well, because it happens to everyone. And the first half of life is when, when you're young and when you're ambitious and when you have all these dreams and hopes for what it is that you want to accomplish and you have a certain sort of vibrancy. And then the second half of life comes. And what happens in the second half of life, and it's not necessarily at an age, like sometimes it happens to people at age 20, sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's a little bit older. But in the, the second half of life, um, what you end up having to deal with, and I know that I've, I've been there, it's not about like maintaining and honing your energy. Um, it's about figuring out how to get energy to do anything, basically. Like in your first half of life, you're just energetic for everything. You could just go all day and just do whatever it is that you wanted to do. And then in the second half of life, it's like, all right, well, how best am I going to use this precious energy that I have? And in the first half of life, what actually is, is helpful is having success because when you are experiencing some form of success, it's kind of like hot and cold for your life. Like, okay, this is what you should be doing. You should go into this career. You're a really good accountant. You should go um, into this way or you should do that. And so success is like generally a, a good thing in the first half of life. What happens in the second half of life is that you recognize that the best kind of way to live is to give your life away. And ultimately, success can be a negative thing in that second half of life. Again, no matter when it happens for you, and this is like a very preliminary explanation um, of, of what this understanding is, but in the second half of life, success can actually be more harm than good. Because if you are just listening to success, then you don't necessarily pay attention to the things that you should be paying attention to. You know people who is a, are CEOs of big companies, they're just ignoring their kids because they are so focused and they're so honed in and perhaps they're really, really, really good at their jobs. But yet they have no relationship with people who are most important to them. And so at one point they're going to retire and not really have anybody to spend that time with. So 
oftentimes success in the second half of life as we become more mature can do more harm than good. And so if you're going through a season that's difficult and you're not having that immediate success, just know that you've got company with Abram who does what God asks him to do, and he does this dramatic thing, takes this bold step, walks out of this like cyclical understanding, starts something new, and ends up in a place where there's a famine. And then still, we'll have to practice dramatic faith. It took dramatic faith to walk away from the family line. It will continue to take dramatic faith to walk through a season of famine. Historians estimate there were likely about 40 people in this traveling band with Abram, so it's not just him. So he's getting a lot of complaints. He's wondering, did I do the right thing? Did I take the right step? Questions that we all ask ourselves from time to time. The question ultimately that we need to ask is not necessarily like, well, what are the right steps here? But will I be obedient to God? Will I allow God to lead me even in this season of wandering? Will we trust that God is with us? This is a struggle that we all have. It's a struggle that the characters in Scripture had as well. God comes to Moses in a burning bush, and Moses just comes up with like excuse after excuse about, well, don't do this, and I can't do that. I'm not, and finally just says like, well, I'm not a good public speaker. God's like, you think I know, do you think I don't know that? He's coming up with all these excuses, and if you look at that conversation, it's fascinating. God is the one, like, doing the verbs through the entire thing. Like, I will be with you. I will protect you. I'm not going to leave you alone to do this, God. I am going with you. But this is the ultimate struggle of faith, isn't it? That it's hard for us sometimes to take steps in faith, and it's hard for us to keep going. But we take comfort, take comfort and company with, with people who have been through wandering before. And know that we don't wander alone. There's a woman who you're familiar with, even if you don't know her name, Francine Jane Crosby. This is a picture of her, and she's wearing dark glasses because at six weeks, uh, she lost um, her her eyesight. And she lived in the mid-1850s to the early 1900s. And she wrote an unbelievable amount of some of the most famous hymns that we have. Some of the hymns that she has done, if you'll go, I think there's a hymn slide. Maybe not immediately after. Um, one, go one more and then we'll come back to this one. Should be there. Is it not there? Yeah. So she wrote, Blessed assurance, all the way my Savior leads me, to God be the glory, safe in the arms of Jesus, and Jesus keep me near the cross. She wrote over 9,000 hymns in her life. And she was asked, like, if you could, like, have God do something or you wouldn't, you want to have your, your sight restored? And this is what, what she said as she was asked that. Do you know that if at birth I'd been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. She'd been able to see for six weeks. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. We 
sing songs like hers. These are songs that we've sung forever, and it's the song of, of someone who literally was wandering, not able to see in the way that I think everyone in here can. Think about this blind woman writing the words, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. If the band could come up, we'll be uh, singing that song now as we close. But I think of how much of a blessing it is to see the story of Abram who takes this step in faith and then immediately encounters a famine. And then Francine or Fanny J. Crosby, who blind from a young age, learns to find the presence of, of God. We're blessed by people who have wandered and experienced difficult seasons. So if you're in one like that, may you understand that that doesn't mean that God is not with you, and that God will not be faithful. We learn a lot, I think, when we wander, when we maybe put our faith once in that person or in that thing or whatever it is, but when we take these steps just as Abram did, we recognize, is it God that I actually believe in? Or just this other person or that season? So if it's time for you to take a dramatic step to go somewhere else, just know that God is with you. If there's a transition that you're going through and you're wondering, like, can I even take another step? Um, I'm here to talk with you. I'd love to hear where you are in that story. Just know that you aren't alone. That we all wander until one day we will be reunited with God. And may we understand that we are never alone in those places. May we understand that we wander even with God. Let's stand and sing together the beautiful song of someone who was a true wanderer. Sing this chorus.